Hi, everyone. Thanks for joining us on the Kirk Church Podcast. I'm Aaron Elmore, lead pastor at Kirk of the Hills, located in Tulsa, Oklahoma. This is where you can hear messages from all our pastors and guest speakers. Make sure to subscribe and share with anyone who follows the Kirk. If you want to know more about us, visit us at thekirk.com, like us on Facebook, or follow us on Instagram at the Kirk Church. Let's get started with today's episode. that next Sunday is Christmas Eve. It is amazing, isn't it? Crazy. Today we're going to talk about the crisis of Christmas. I was thinking about the song that the choir so beautifully sang, Silent Night, Holy Night, All is Calm, All is Bright. I was listening to the radio on the way over this morning and had the Christmas music station playing and it hit me with, it's the most wonderful time of the year with kids jingle belling and all of that stuff. I have one word to ask you, one word just to mention, relatives. We see these people once a year, maybe, right? And now all of a sudden they're in our house, they're in our business, they're criticizing our food, right? Half of them are Republicans, half of them are Democrats, half of them are Eagles fans, half of them are Cowboys fans. It's not bright. What about cooking? We spend half our time cooking. I think half of the cooking of the year takes place at this time of the year. Right? And and to make it worse, it's grandma's recipe that everyone remembers, and now you have to make it just like her. Good luck with that. Children and glass ornaments. What could go wrong? (laughs) My sister and I remember when we were young, we were uh, horsing around, having a pillow fight. Mary and Joseph, ceramic Mary and Joseph, right up on the mantle, got taken out. (laughs) All is calm. All is bright. You know, Christmas is not always calm, and it's not always bright. It's not always the most wonderful time of the year. It certainly wasn't that way for Mary and Joseph. We're going to be looking at this idea of crisis. Crisis was brewing all around them, and um, as we look at Christmas through the lens of crisis, and we begin to think about it, as I did, and look through this very you know, probably the most famous Christmas passage, Luke chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, and uh, think about it in those terms, all of a sudden you begin to see it in a different way. And as I saw it, um, I saw three different levels of crisis. And so today we're going to talk about the three levels of crisis. One level is the general crisis. And then there's the personal crisis, right? And then finally, there's the immediate crisis, And we see all three levels of crisis represented in the Christmas story. And so let's see what the Lord has to teach us today about crisis. Let's begin 
with the general crisis. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. The Romans have conquered the world, and included in that is the little itty-bitty province of Judea. This little area, Judea, had been under independent control by the Hasmonean dynasty, a group of kings slash priests, for about a hundred years. The Maccabees. And now the Romans came in and they gained control of the entire area. Caesar Augustus wants to take stock of his empire. And he wants to see exactly how many people he has so that he can maximize taxation. Galilee is especially under a lot of oppression. They're heavily taxed. They're strongly controlled by the Romans because it was a very important and strategic area. The people were feeling the oppression of Rome. As a matter of fact, the prophet Daniel, when he described prophetically the coming Roman Empire, he described it as a terrible beast that would come out of the sea with teeth of iron. And this is exactly what Rome was like. It dominated the entire world. The response of God's people to this general crisis that existed in their world was fear and helplessness. What can Joseph and Mary do? What can these two insignificant people in the midst of a huge and complex political and economic empire do? Issues and interests that go far beyond who they were and what they even understood As the people of God today, we find ourselves in the same situation. The world is a giant evil force moving away from God. Amen? It's challenging our values, our way of life, and putting in jeopardy our future. And we tend to respond to this, this, to this threat in the same way that the, the Jews of the first century world responded to the threat of the Roman Empire with fear and a sense of deep helplessness. The media gives us a constant message of fear, doesn't it? If you watch the news as we watch the news, it's a constant and unabating message of fear. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you find yourself. On one side of the political spectrum, they're telling you that the economy is going to collapse. There's too much debt. Everything, there's going to be nothing left for our children and grandchildren. You must be afraid. And on the other side of the political spectrum, they're telling you our planet is about to be destroyed. The polar ice caps are going to melt. Global warming is happening. And there will be nothing left for your children and grandchildren. Live in fear. Amen? This is the message that we get. It doesn't matter what your per perspective and opinion is. This is the constant message that is laid out before us. 
that we have no future, that we are to be afraid of what is coming. But what is the truth? What is the truth that we should believe? The truth is that God is in control of world events. Amen? God is in control of this world. The Romans, as evil and as decadent and as oppressive as they were, they were a tool in the hand of God. You see, Rome caused the world to come into order. They stopped all of the squabbling and little wars that existed all around the ancient world because of their control of the ancient world. They opened up the ancient world for trade because they wanted money. They didn't build roads for people. They built roads for Rome so that all of the goods and all everything would flow to Rome. But in the process, what they did was they created an environment in which the gospel would be able to spread to the entire known world in one generation. This would have been unheard of and completely impossible in any other point in, in ancient history. God was using Rome in all of its evil, in all of its oppression, in all of its decadence for a greater plan and a greater purpose than anyone could imagine. Certainly bigger than Mary and Joseph could have ever, ever imagined. So what is our response to the general crisis of this world? It is to trust in the Lord. We must trust in the Lord. We must trust in his big picture plan for the world. It may look dark right now. As we look at the world and we look at what's happening in the world and uh, what's going on in the Middle East and the potential for that to spark into something even greater and regional and maybe even world war and all of these different things, we must trust in the Lord. This isn't the first time he's been through this. And God uses all of these things. Don't be afraid. Turn off the message of fear. Stop watching the news 24 hours a day. Just stop. Read the Bible. Spend time focusing on what is good. Because you are being manipulated to be living in fear. And we don't need to live in fear. Do what is responsible to do. Recycle. <laughs> Vote. Vote your conscience. Vote what's important. But don't live in fear. Because the world's not going to end because one party wins an election or another party wins the election. Because God is the one who rise, raises up kings and God is the one who takes them down. Amen? That is what the Bible teaches. And we are the people of God and we trust in a greater sovereign in this world. That is the Lord. And so we can rest in that and live in peace. But our world is in general crisis. Amen? The second kind of crisis is personal crisis. Let's look at the next couple of verses in our passage. So Joseph went, also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, 
the town of David because he belonged to the house in the line of David. He was there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. What's the problem there? (laughs) Pledged to be married to him, but expecting a child. She was pregnant. This was a personal crisis for Mary and Joseph. It was a personal crisis. Mary was a young girl by our standards. Very conservative Jewish culture. And she was pregnant outside of marriage. This is literally a life-ending crisis, potentially, for this young girl. She could have been stoned for being pregnant outside of marriage in her culture. Certainly, it was a reputation-ending situation for her. It also affected Joseph as well. Think about it. Joseph has two options. He can reject Mary or he can accept her. If he rejects her, he loses his betrothed wife. He has been working toward this. All the agreements that have been set out between his family and her family, all of that is going to be lost. He loses this woman that he wants to be his wife. If he accepts her, then his paternity will be in question from now until forever. And his righteousness as a righteous Jewish man will be questioned forever. Joseph has to make a decision, and it is a crisis for him. A terrible, terrible personal crisis. What is the response in the middle of this kind of a situation? Well, I think that it's shame and confusion. Personal crises usually bring about shame and confusion. You know, the community was looking sideways at Joseph and Mary. Nazareth is an itty-bitty little town. I mean, small. I mean, think Jennings, Oklahoma, small. We're talking little, okay? Everybody knew everybody. And Mary's starting to show. And they were, every coffee shop on every corner was talking about them. I mean, I can guarantee you that. You know what happened. I mean, come on. Is it Joseph's? Is it someone else's? I don't know. But I'm going to ask his aunt and find out. Right? You can just imagine all that was going on. It was a terrible situation for this young couple. Joseph was a good man. Mary was a good young woman. They were following God, but their world was being torn apart. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt that you are a good person, but yet all of a sudden you find yourself in crisis and your world is being torn apart? All of us find ourselves in personal crisis at some point or another. I think personal crises last usually from about six months to two years, right? That's about how long this kind of a personal crisis kind of lasts until we come back to a place of of stasis, uh, come back to equilibrium in our life. And I think this is what's happening in their lives. For us, it may be losing a job. It may be an injury or a disease or uh, a diagnosis of some sort that just throws our life into turmoil. 
It may be a broken relationship that crushes our heart. It may be the loss of a loved one that was unexpected and devastating. It may be the result of our own failure or our own mistakes. It's usually something that comes suddenly and it rocks our world for a season of our life. Many times it comes with confusion. We start asking the Lord, Lord, why me? Why did this happen to me, Lord? I'm one of the good guys. Why did this happen in my life? Why am I going through this, Lord? What have I done? What do I need to learn? What is wrong? We find ourselves in confusion. Sometimes it involves shame. It may be the, the consequences for our own mistakes or our own inadequacies. Or we may have not done anything wrong, but we just feel the eyes of everyone on us. You ever ever experienced that? You haven't done anything wrong, but you feel like everyone's judging you. They're whispering about you. Maybe it's usually just perceived in our mind, but we feel this overwhelming sense of shame so many times when it comes to these kinds of crises in our lives. But what is the truth? What is the truth? God is at work in your life. Literally, God was at work inside of Mary's life, right? He was producing inside of her the Savior of the world. God was at work in her life, but that didn't mean that she was not in crisis. And the same is true for us. God may be doing something incredible and amazing in your life, but it may feel to you like a terrible crisis and a difficult time for you to pass through. God births his will within each one of us through the personal crises we face. I'm going to say that again. God births his will within each one of us through the personal crises that we face. You see, God is shaping us. He's molding us. He's testing us. He's refining us. And it all happens in the context of the crises and the difficulties that we face in our lives. You know, we would not know God's miraculous power if everything went well in our lives, right? If everything went peachy, if everything was calm and all was bright in your life all the time, you would never know God's power to save. Amen? It's when we go through difficult times, when we face these kinds of crises in our lives that are all-consuming, that are overwhelming, that's when we see the hand of God move in our lives in such a way, and it confirms and affirms his love for us, and his mighty power, and his sovereign will, and his greatness, and all of that in our lives. Amen? And that's when we come to know God, is in the midst of crisis. And as a result of crisis, you can plan on crisis. It's going to come because God uses it to shape us and to reveal himself in it and through it. So how should we respond to personal crisis in our lives? Obey the Lord. 
Obey the Lord. Be obedient to God. You may not be able to see all that God is doing, but you must obey him. Mary and Joseph obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. Look at what it says in Luke chapter 1, verse 38. This is when the angel came and revealed to Mary that she had conceived the Son of God. And her response was this, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. In other words, she said, God, I serve you. And whatever you're doing, go ahead and do it. And I will obey. I will obey because I am your servant and I will do whatever you tell me to do. And you can use me however you want to use me. This young woman responds to God in this way in the midst of a crisis that actually risked her life. And she responds to God. This is the way we respond to the Lord in the midst of crisis. We must obey the Lord. Our response prayer should go something like this. Lord, I am your servant. I don't understand what you're doing. I don't understand why cancer has come into my life. I don't understand why I have just lost the person that I love the most in my life. I don't understand why I didn't receive the job, the promotion, whatever I expected and wanted in my life. But I will guard my heart and I will bite my tongue and I will obey you through this. This is what God calls us to do. And Mary and Joseph are incredible examples to us of how we should live and respond in the face of this kind of crisis. So we've seen general crisis. We've talked about personal crisis. Now let's talk about immediate crisis. Immediate crisis. We'll read the last part of the passage. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no room, uh, no guest room available for them. The last level of crisis is the kind of crisis we face on a day-to-day basis. Mary and Joseph traveled to Bethlehem. She's now ready to give birth. I think the King James says she was great with child. Ready to give birth, and they need a place to stay. And there's no place to stay. Now, I can imagine what happened you know, she's making the reservation and she looks up the Holiday Inn Express in Bethlehem, but she clicks on Bethany and she makes a reservation in the wrong place. Easy to do when you're riding on the back of a donkey, right? I mean, I would imagine it was something like that. We've all done it, right? We've all, we've all made that kind of a mistake. But seriously, they were staying with family, Okay, Joseph had family in Bethlehem. That's why he was going back to Bethlehem. That's where his family was from. And so he returned to Bethlehem. He would have stayed with family. He didn't stay in a holiday inn. They would have stayed with family in a guest room. In the Cataluma in Greek is what it's called. That's where they would have stayed. However, much, a lot of family came back to Bethlehem. Right? And so there were lots of people competing for very few guest rooms. And as a result... They didn't get the guest room. Aunt Margaret and Uncle Zach got the guest room. 
okay? And so, therefore, they were down under the house where the animals are kept. And there she would give birth. Now, this was not the most ideal situation. She was not comfortable. She's in a barn with the animals. That's not easy, is it? But what's especially not easy for Mary is that she's not close to her family. Her mom's not there. She's maybe a 14, 15, 16-year-old girl. Her mom's not there. Her aunts aren't there. Her grandmother's not there to help her through this birthing process. She's got to do it with complete and total strangers, people she's never met before in a barn. This is a crisis for them. It's an immediate crisis. Joseph wants to try to help, but he's, he's helpless to help her. I certainly can identify with this situation because late and I, when we had our child, Gabby, was, we were living in South Carolina. We were studying uh, in seminary. We had no money, literally no money. We're living in South Carolina from Costa Rica. We had no family around us. We get pregnant. She gets pregnant. We, um, and, and the baby is born early, two months early. She's three pounds, four ounces when she's born. She's itty-bitty, and we go through this incredible crisis, and there's no one there to help us that we knew that we were comfortable with. People helped us. I mean, the church was there for us. But it was difficult. It was a crisis. And how do we respond to this kind of crisis? Well, I think we respond with frustration, and we respond with panic. These are kind of the things that happen when we respond in the midst of these kinds of crises in our lives. I don't know what to do. Nothing's going right. I just want to provide for my family, and everything's a mess. This is certainly the way I felt in the midst of this crisis, and I'm sure that Joseph felt this way, and Mary felt this way. Panic and frustration in our lives. It's the car accident. It's the unexpected home repair when the guy says yeah you know you're leaking carbon monoxide from your heating system and it's going to be twenty thousand dollars to replace that and you go <laughs> right we've all been through these kind of crises in our lives difficult things it's the really bad day that ends in a fight with the person that we care about the most we get frustrated, don't we? And we learned in the last series about the ten, you know, the, the seven sins, that frustration is really just another word for anger, right? And we get angry, and we lash out, and we say and do really stupid things, right? Because frustration becomes a major part of this. Or we panic, and we lose perspective on what is happening in our lives. What's the truth in the midst of this situation? The truth is that God is with you. Mary was holding a little baby in her arms whose name was Emmanuel. God is with you. God is with you. And God is with us in the midst of these situations that we face every day, these difficult situations that can cause us, that can just push us over the edge. And we have to remember that God is with us. Take a breath. Bite your tongue. 
Remember that you're not alone. Our response to immediate crisis, like the crisis that Mary and Joseph experienced, is to just keep walking with the Lord. Keep moving forward. Step by step, you'll get through